Welcome to Veterans Chronicles. I'm Greg Columbus. Many people have heard of Operation Fortitude, the Allied effort to trick the Germans into thinking the target of D-Day was Calais and not Normandy. But a much lesser-known deception operation played a key role in General George Patton's drive across Europe after D-Day. George R. Dramus was a member of the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, known better as the Ghost Army. I became part of the 23rd sometime, again, in about uh, January or February of 1944, when that unit was being organized. Part of it was being organized in Camp Forest, Tennessee, and another part of it was being organized in Pine Camp, New York, way up in New York. And then we never saw each other until we were all together uh, overseas. The 23rd deployed to England in May of 1944, shortly before D-Day. And the unit assisted other American and British units in deception efforts surrounding the landings. Because the art of military deception is so complex, the 23rd was organized into many smaller units, each dedicated to a particular kind of deception. The 23rd, for example, had separate units dedicated to radio deception, creating simulated radio traffic, visual deception using camouflage, fake camps and fake vehicles. It also included sonic deception, mimicking sounds of large troop formations or even combat, and various types of other methods collectively called atmosphere. This atmosphere included members of the 23rd making themselves appear to be another unit, wearing different divisional patches, painting different insignias on their vehicles, and much more. Because most jobs only required one type of deception, Dramus says the different sections of the 23rd rarely interacted with each other. The units were, were kept pretty much separate. I mean, uh, we didn't see too much of the other people. I mean, uh, unless we pulled off a big job, we'd know that they were there. But I, I don't even remember making any friends in the other units. After spending two months in England, the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops were deployed to the front in Normandy in July of 1944. My outfit didn't come over until 40-some days after D-Day. I never saw anybody. I was separated from the guys that I came ashore with. I was met by two officers and asked if I could drive it, know how to drive a Jeep. I said, yes, sir, I do. Come with me. And for about four weeks or so, I drove around a, a major Rolf Ingersoll, owner of the New York newspaper PM, and a Lieutenant Colonel Chet Hansen, who I used to see on the television doing uh, some shows about the service stuff. Of course, I didn't know who they were. They were officers. The two officers were working for the top brass in Schaaf, the supreme headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force. Ingersoll and Hansen were in Normandy gathering intelligence for Generals Omar Bradley and Dwight Eisenhower. They would say, go here, go there. I knew every inch of Normandy like I know every inch of my hometown. I mean, I drove everywhere, saw everything, did everything. And I never got wise to them until one day we drive up the top of Normandy, the top of Normandy Beach. 
There's a plane sitting out there. How did a plane get here? And there is General Eisenhower, General Patton, General Bradley, General Montgomery, the British Army, all these other generals, admirals from the Navy, Air Force from England, all this brass in one place. And here's this 18, 19-year-old kid, and I'm standing right back of Patton with them revolvers on his hips, and the cameras are grinding away the signal corps men, the United Press guys, and I'm thinking, oh boy, I'm going to have my picture in the news. I mean, this was a... And I thought, if the Germans ever come over here with a plane, they'd stop the war right now. All the brass is here. And that was quite an event for me. That was quite an event. Then I, I figured these guys must, must be top people. So the plane starts to pull away. And the two officers are in the Jeep with me. We pulled up in a different location. All of a sudden they said, stay here. Report to Colonel so-and-so uh, at the beach, Omaha Beach, and we'll be back in a, uh, tomorrow or, or in a couple days. They left their binoculars, they left their guns, they left everything, and they ran to the plane, beat on the plane, plane stopped, door opened, steps come down, they went in the plane. I thought, my God, these guys must be, <laughs> they must be pretty good. I mean, Eisenhower's on that plane, all this brass. That's when I figured they were important. Not long after his encounter with the Allies' top brass, George Dramus rejoined his unit for the drive across France. The 23rd had by now been attached to Patton's 3rd Army and would serve as Patton's personal deception force for the remainder of the war. Dramus says the 23rd used a myriad of tools to deceive their enemies. We were going to fake uh, uh, an entire division, which we usually did. We we're gonna fake, let's say, the 9th Infantry Division. All the vehicles would be marked with 9th Infantry Division uh, insignias, marks, uh, what have you. We'd sewed the patches on our shoulders, 9th Infantry Division. Uh, uh, everything making it look like we are the 9th Infantry Division. And then when we took over their position because they were going to move out and go someplace else. We would sneak in and take their position on the line and we could make it look like we were a division while the real division pulled out quietly. We had half tracks with huge amp speakers on them, huge speakers. And they had wire recorders, and they had recorded various tanks and what have you driving around, and you could hear men yelling and swearing, get that crack over here, cut out that cigarette, and you'd hear the stuff going on. Sounded like a whole outfit was coming in, but it was just a few of us. As with the deception operations for D-Day, George Dramus and the men of the 23rd were highly successful in keeping the Germans guessing as to the Allies' true intentions. 
However, in order to ensure success, the men of the Ghost Army had to be very careful with whom they shared secrets. We spent a lot of time in Luxembourg City. Uh, that was our headquarters. Whenever we were through with a mission, we always came back to Luxembourg City. We were holed up in an old monastery there. But anyway, we'd go into town at night, and there was a cafe called the Pole Nord Cafe, North Pole Cafe. We knew there were a lot of German activity, German spies. The people could not really be trusted. They were, some were French-speaking, some were German-speaking, and some had their own language, uh, which is a slightly different German. Like, for example, if you say good morning in German, it's gut morgen. Uh, they would say gut moyen. Uh, there were different words were different in their, in their language. But uh, we'd go to that cafe, and I told you this one time, I sat next to a soldier at the bar. I didn't like his demeanor, and I still think he was a spy, whether he was a German spy or whether he was a Luxembourg spy, I'm not sure but he had a German accent. I could detect the accent. He probably thought he was getting away with it, but I, I could detect it. I have a good ear for foreign languages. So we talked about this and that and the other, and I gave him a lot of fake information. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was, a, he was a spy looking for information. You had to be very careful in that town. There's much more to the story of George Dramus and the Ghost Army. Stay with us on Veterans Chronicles. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Veterans Chronicles. I'm Greg Corumbus. In this edition, we're learning about the Ghost Army, the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, which not only helped keep the Germans unsure of what was happening on D-Day, but throughout the push eastward across France and ultimately to the Rhine River. By November of 1944, the Allied armies had reached Germany's western frontier. With winter fast approaching, the Allies stopped their advance in order to secure their gains. While the Allies hoped to resume their offensive in the more favorable spring weather, the Germans used the lull in fighting to prepare a massive counterattack. In December, the Germans attacked the weakly defended Allied position in the Ardennes Forest. Allied positions were rapidly overrun and the 101st Airborne Division became trapped by the Germans in the key town of Bastogne. General Eisenhower called on General Patton's 3rd Army to rescue them, but with Patton's troops already stretched to hold their current line, the Ghost Army would need to keep the Germans in the dark as to Patton's plan in order to free up divisions for the rescue attempt. While most of the Ghost Army used deception to help Patton, Dramus was used in a very different role. He was deployed to help the 4th Armored Division in its drive toward Bastogne. In that deal, uh, we were, uh, my unit was in Alsace-Lorraine, 
that's south of Luxembourg. I remember there was a call to join the 4th Armored Division. So they gave us the patches, they painted our Jeep, our weapons carrier, with the radio company, they painted it with the 4th Armored Division insignias and everything. We had the 4th Armored patches, and we moved. If I remember correctly, as a matter of fact, that was the, I saw my first battlefield commission. I saw a sergeant get uh, promoted to a, an officer, a lieutenant. It happened right there at the spot. But I remember moving out with them, and I think it took several driving at night in the snow, cold, a window down you know, on those things. Uh, that, that was a, a lot of hard drive. We took turns, four of us were in a group. We took turns driving, and uh, there was no radio communications. And we got up there, and it was snow, deep snow. And I remember when we stopped, I remember sleeping in my sleeping bag in the snow on the ground. That I remember. But then there was a lot of radio communication with 4th Armored personnel. But we were given the things to say and what the, so we, uh, we would transmit messages back and forth in Morse code, always in Morse code. Due in large part to the deception efforts of the Ghost Army, Patton was able to free up three divisions from his already overstretched front line and rescue the 101st Airborne trapped in Bastogne. The 4th Armored Division, with George Dramus and other members of the Ghost Army in tow, was the first to reach the besieged troops. After the Battle of the Bulge, Patton and the Allies next turned their attention to the invasion of Germany itself. However, in order to breach the German defenses on the Rhine River, the 23rd would need to come up with its greatest ruse yet to assist in the attack. That was uh, one of the few where the entire 1,100-man 23rd Headquarters Special Troops was involved. Everybody was involved in that deal. The camouflage people, the half-track people, the ones that uh, used the fake artillery people. They had canisters where they flash-bombed, and it looked like artillery going off. There was a company just did just that, and they were camouflage experts. Some of them became famous, like Bill Blass, the uh, uh, designer, clothes designer. He was in that unit. Ellsworth Kelly, who was a famous painter today, I think he died a few years ago. He's a famous painter in New York City. He's done work for the United States government. Um, there were people of this ilk. They were painters. They were artists. They were. Uh, they did the camouflage work. Camouflage was, you camouflage, but just you leave just enough that it shows like there's a truck there or a tank or an artillery piece. You just make it look like there's something there that didn't quite hide it good enough. And these were, these were units that were blown up with compressors and blow up a tank. I mean, you could pick it up with one hand almost. <laughs> Once Allied troops crossed the Rhine in March of 1945, the days of Hitler and the Third Reich were numbered. Only two months later, in May, 
the Germans unconditionally surrendered to the Allies. The operations undertaken by the Ghost Army in support of Patton's Third Army remained classified for more than 50 years after the war. For George Dramus, who was already used to avoiding spies, keeping the secret in peacetime was not difficult. I never really taught, well, I talked to my wife about it, of course, but I just, I don't know as it ever, I just said, well, it was a war and I was a radio operator and I didn't have to say that it was all fake. So I didn't really talk about it. I mean, I just felt they wouldn't understand anyway, so why talk about it? I never talked about it to my buddies or I never said anything. Just let it go. And for George Dramus, the most significant thing he took away from his service during World War II was gratitude. I feel like I didn't do anything. To me, and I often think about this, I think about all the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old guys that I saw on Utah Beach, Omaha Beach, all the dead bodies floating in the water, all the dead guys everywhere, and I think about that. And I think they never got to have a life. I mean, they went in the war, they lasted one or two minutes, and that's it. I mean, I feel very fortunate. Very fortunate. George Dramus, U.S. Army veteran, World War II veteran of the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, better known as the Ghost Army. I'm Greg Corumbus. This is Veterans Chronicles. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and thanks for listening to Veterans Chronicles, a presentation of the American Veterans Center. For more information, please visit AmericanVeteransCenter.org. You can also follow the American Veterans Center on Facebook and on Twitter, where at AVC Update. Subscribe to the American Veterans Center YouTube channel for full oral histories and special features. And of course, please subscribe to the Veterans Chronicles podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Veterans Chronicles. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 